we have our desires and our plans, but guess what? God has His. And whatever happens is supposed to happen. And you've got to keep that in mind and not, not think the world's going to be over just because things didn't go our way. But Okay, we're in Romans chapter number, what chapter are we in? Four. Anytime I lose a week like this, I get totally... <laughs> so no more guest speakers on Sundays. They can come for church, but not, not Sunday school. So Romans chapter number 4, I think we stopped at verse 17. I'm going to read uh, verses 13 through 18, and then we'll pick up on verse 18. Let's have a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for uh, being our God. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, being in control of this universe, Father, and, and you uh, dictate what's going to happen, Father, and you... Have your plan to fulfill, Father. Pray, God, you give us the faith to believe you, Father. And pray, Lord, you bless the lesson this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 4. Let's look at verses uh, 13 through 18. It's just like so I can pick up the context here of what we were talking about a couple weeks ago. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world, talking about Abraham, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, <laughs> but through the righteousness of faith. For they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. And a promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, if it is of faith, uh, that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all of the seed. Not to that which only is of the law, but also that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, spiritual father. As it is written... Now notice the parentheses here in verse number 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before whom uh, he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which, not, which uh, be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Amen. Remember, we're talking about seed duh, 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 and not seeds, plural, okay? Abraham had one seed, and that was Isaac. That's the one God's concerned with, his seed. We'll talk about that in just a second here. In fact, uh, verse 18 says, Who against hope believed in hope? Have you ever been without hope? Some of us are this very morning. <laughs> without hope, but believe in hope. Amen. Okay? And uh, that he might be the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. Who spoke to Abraham? God did. So God spoke to Abraham and made these promises, and we'll cover those in a little bit here. Uh, we've talked about them. But Abraham had hope in those things, against hope. According to the thing that God spoke, Abraham's looking at his body. When God made this promise to Abraham that he'd be a father of many, many nations, how old was Abraham? Who knows? 75. Yep. Yep. Genesis 12, 1 through 4. He was 75 when God promised to make him uh, a father of many, many nations. He didn't just run home and say, Sarah, guess what? No. It had been years since God made that promise. Abraham was 86 when he fathered Ishmael. 86. Abraham was 100 
when Isaac was born. Abraham got the promise. He had to wait for 25 years. Ever had to do that before? We are impatient people. Impatient. 35 years old. Guess what, Sarah? We're going to have kids 25 years later. Okay? Abraham was 100 and Isaac was born. Let me give you a couple of little trivial facts here. Abraham died at 175. Sarah died at 127, I think it was. Sarah, uh, uh, the miracle, we kind of look at the miracle of Abraham being 100 years old. The, the miracle wasn't with Abraham. He had kids after Sarah died with Keturah, six more sons. Miracles with Sarah. Sarah didn't become barren in her old age. She's always been barren. They never had kids. Her womb had always been dead. They had never had, had kids. Uh, they didn't get married at 90 and 100. They, they had never had kids. Amen. So if you study this out, like I did a little bit, there's a, there's a group, there's a, there's a thinking that, why this is almost like an immaculate conception. Have you heard that before? But it wasn't. God healed her womb one time. Didn't have any kids after that, but one time. God blessed her, and Isaac was conceived with Abraham's help. Abraham, there's nothing wrong with him. So the miracle was God used Sarah's dead womb and had a son. While I was poking around, Abraham was born. You remember Shem? Who knows who Shem was? Noah's son, one of his sons. Okay, good. Shem. Everybody that was from the lineage of Shem was called Shemites, now are called Semites. And part of the Semitic were, was Judah, and they're called Jews from Judah. Okay. Shem was 390 years old when Abraham was born. He died at 600 years old. He died 35 years after Abraham died. Can you imagine that? Abraham was a contemporary of Shem. I believe he knew Shem. So it's interesting how these older folks were still going on. Abraham was 58 years old when Noah died. These guys didn't get off the ark and say, okay, we're going to pack it in. They lived. They had influence on this new world, on this new society, this new uh, creation, you know, this, they had to populate the planet again. And they had influence. They were there. Their brothers were still alive. Jabeth and Ham were still alive. Lived to be way old. So it's interesting to kind of look around there and see who was who back then. You read about Abraham and, uh, and if you read Jewish, uh, not really history, but if you read what some of the things they write, you know, Shem might have been Melchizedek. Who knows? There's all kinds of theories out there what Shem did and how he was involved in things. So I kind of got off and chased a rabbit, but then I shot him. So I had to, get back to, had to get back to my lesson here. So in hope upon hope, that is, Abraham believed the thing that was the object of hope. He believed this promise. Abraham didn't look at his body and Sarah's body and say, oh, I think God made a mistake. No, he still believed. 
Abraham had that faith. Abraham was made a father of many nations through faith. If he didn't have the faith, God would have had to use someone else. Abraham demonstrated that he had faith. He believed the promise. Abraham's expectation of being a father of many nations rested only on the promise that God gave him. He had no ground on himself as a person. I'm 100 years old. You know? But he had the guarantee of the promise. That's faith. And I'm not going to preach the morning message, but during these times in right now, we need to have faith. God's got his plan. If you read the end of the book, you know what's going to happen. And it's got to start someday. I'm just telling you, don't be bumped around, bumped about, not, not having things not going our way. Things are going God's way. And that's what really matters. We may have to go through some uncomfortable times in our lives, especially younger people, if things go the way they're going to go. But God's in control. I've got to keep telling myself that. I've even told Fox that. You know what? God is in control. Juan Williams doesn't agree with me, but some of them do, you know. Um, God's in control. Amen. We have a promise, and we have a guarantee of that promise, and we, it's our job to believe it. You can skip the morning church. We'll leave right after Sunday school this morning. How about that? Huh? Two for one. Verse 18 says, So shall thy seed be. This seed was Abraham's descendants. Let's look at Abraham's descendants for a second. Through Isaac, you had the Israelites. And who else did you have through Isaac? I mean, through uh, Jacob. Edomites. That's right. Okay. Then you had 12 sons that Ishmael had. They kind of fulfilled the, fulfilled the Arab nations and stuff. And then you had Keturah had six sons. Okay, so Abraham was a father of many nations. If you go to the Middle East and say something bad about Abraham, you know, someone's going to be mad at you. That's their father too. Okay, their spiritual father. So uh, he was the father of many nations. Verse number 19, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Like I said, she wasn't, her womb wasn't dead because she, she was old, because she was 90. It had always been that way. She's never had a child. Never, ever. He considered not his own body dead. Abraham in faith did not look to circumstances to worry against God's promise. Well, God, you can't use us. Why, we're too old and she's never had a child before. He didn't worry about that. Look at, uh, look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hold your place here in Romans. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse number 8. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8. By faith, 
Abraham when he was called out to go into a place which he had should have to receive for an inheritance. What did he do? He obeyed. When God says, I want you to go, he went. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in a land of promise. God promised him this land. He traveled this land as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. Is that saying that Abraham saw Jacob? Yeah. He was alive still. Verse 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Then it goes on. So, this was all faith. Abraham didn't look at his circumstances, and that's the problem with a lot of Christians. They say, I don't know how God's going to work this out because of the circumstances. We shouldn't do that. It's hard not to see what's going on and say, oh, I don't see. But we've got to give God credit. God's got the power. We just need the faith. Verse 20 back in Romans chapter 4 says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. His faith didn't waver. It was a huge challenge. God gave him a promise and waited 25 years. If Isaac would have, would have been born when Abraham was 75, they would, they would say, well, maybe that was just natural. Yeah, maybe so. Well, he had a son at 86. But at 100, and Sarah's womb is dead, there is a miracle there. And you can't say, well, that was just man did it. No. God got the glory for that. Verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able, also able to perform. And being fully persuaded or fully assured, being strongly convinced, this is an explanation of the way in which he gave glory to God. He was fully persuaded. Amen. Abraham's faith gave God Abraham gave God glory because he was fully persuaded that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. God made a promise. Abraham had faith that it was going to happen. Uh, look, at, look at Romans 8.38. A couple chapters up. For I am what? Persuaded. And neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Persuaded. The more you trust God, the more you see God work, the more persuaded you get. Did you know that? First Timothy uh, 112 says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded, Paul says, that he's able to keep that which I have committed against him against that day. You want to know why God doesn't answer prayers in our lives? Because we're not fully persuaded. Hurt. You know, we come to Jesus, or, or we don't go to Christ for things, we don't go to God, or, or, or we don't go any further with Him in our Christian lives because we're not persuaded He can do what He said He's going to do. 
and people get stagnant right there. And they see people around them getting blessed and growing, and they say, well, God, they're God's favorite. No, he's not. They're persuaded. When you're persuaded, nothing's going to stop you. And with things going on in the world today, I'm persuaded God's going to have his will. I don't know what he's going to do, who he's going to do it with, but I'm persuaded he's going to have his will. It's going to be according to his plan. I've read the end of the book. You know, we've got to get there somehow, some way, and might as well start. You know what I'm saying? The world's going to be ready for it. Big tech, communications, that fast around the world. You know, things are being set up where things can happen according to what God's plan is, and it's not a stretch. Things are in place. The world can hear somebody at one time. The media is all set. I mean, things are in place according to God's plan where God can fulfill His plan. Abraham was persuaded because he believed. He believed that God was able to perform. If you've seen God perform things in your life, how many of you have ever had an answered prayer? Just a couple of us. Did He answer your prayer about salvation? Has He answered other prayers for you? When you see God perform, that builds up your faith. And as He keeps doing that, you can become easily more easily persuaded that God's going to answer the big things in your life. Because I know because he's answered the small things. Or what were big things at the time. We'll talk more about that in chapter 5. Verse number 22, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Why? Because he believed God. Verse 23, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, uh, this history of the way in which God received, uh, way in which Abraham received righteousness is not recorded for Abraham's sake alone. I said a couple weeks ago that this account is still in the Bible. The Jews didn't take it out. Uh, Abraham was saved, was uh, uh, imputed righteousness because of his faith. It wasn't because of his works or circumcision or anything else. Remember that? Because of his faith. They left that in the Bible. Why? For our sake. And the Jews who were the custodians of the oracles of God didn't take it out. Amen. God wasn't going to let them. I need that verse in there. Amen. People in the future need that verse in there. So it was, it was kept there for our sakes, not just for Abraham, but for everybody. So Paul kind of guards against this uh, uh, mindset of the time back then that well, this just applied to Abraham. No. Everybody. Everybody in all time. Faith. Verse 24. But for all, but for us also, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. It shall be imputed to all of us if we what? We've got to believe. If we have Abraham's faith, righteousness shall be imputed upon us also. How much faith do you need? Enough faith to trust Christ as your Savior. That's the kind of faith you need. Not the big promise you're going to have a child when you're 100 years old. Not that kind of faith. Simple faith. Trust Christ as your Savior. 
That's the kind of faith you need to have righteousness imputed on you. Remember back in chapter 3, we talked about that. Imputation, okay? So this is our, the character of the faith that we have to have, that simple faith to trust Christ. We don't, we, we don't just believe in God, but we believe in God as the, I'm going to make a word here, the razor upper of Christ. If Christ couldn't raise him up, he can't raise us up. But because he did raise him up, who else can he raise up? Us. Faith in the razor upper of Christ. Not just faith, I believe in God. No, he raised Christ from the dead. So this faith as raising up our Lord must also include a right view of him. It must apply to a belief of the gospel, not only to the act of a resurrection, Christ died on the cross, but he also rose again, and he performs and performs today the work of Christ, his work. In verse 25, the last verse in this chapter, who was delivered, talking about Christ, for our offenses. I wasn't there. Yeah, we were in Adam. We were there. Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. God gave over His Son to death. Delivered them into the hands of wicked men. And there was a higher tribunal than just Pilate and those guys. God knew it had to happen. God delivered him. Look at Acts chapter 2. Verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts 2, 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Was God surprised? No. This was God's plan. Foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands and have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible he should beholden of it. So, God worked it out. You think things were bad back then when Christ was crucified? You think Christians were pretty concerned about that? Sure they were. You can bring it up to the day or any day if you want to. God delivered him because it had to happen. If it didn't happen, God couldn't raise him up. So the things happened because they had to happen. Things are happening now because they have to happen. That's the attitude we've got to have to, uh, to maintain our, our faith, I think, really. Raised for our justification. He worked out our justification by His death, but its efficacy, its effectiveness, depended on His resurrection. By His death, He paid our sin death. debt. But his res by his resurrection, he became our friend. We made his acquaintance. We knew him. We worshiped him. He saves us. Okay? He rose to ensure 
we have the right to eternal life. His resurrection was extremely important. Mightily important. He arose to assure us the right to eternal life. He didn't just stay dead, all oh, Jesus died for us. No. He had to raise again. Amen. Now, chapter number five, Paul starts mentioning a couple of benefits of believing, a couple of benefits of being a Christian. There's lots of them. He mentions a couple, maybe more. Uh, but in chapter 5, we start kind of have this, this, this interwoven discussion about these benefits. And he talks later on in chapter 5 about sin entering into the world. Where did that come from? We'll talk about that when we get there. Let's look at the, well, the first few verses of chapter 5. Therefore, you see the therefore, what do you do? Help me out. Look above, you see what it's therefore we're talking about. Christ being delivered being resurrected, therefore, because of what happened in chapter 4, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore having been justified. Paul has established this fact that faith is the means by which he justifies us. Remember what that word justified? Justified, never sinned. It's a legal thing saying you're, you're acquitted, you're innocent. Okay. From this time back, those sins are gone. From this time forward, I've made a provision in 1 John 1, 9. Okay? There's no reason to be caught with sin in our lives. There's no reason to be caught where God has to bring things in our life to push us back on course because we have 1 John 1, 9. If we sin, we ask for forgiveness. If we don't do that, God makes it known that He wishes that we would do that. How many of you ever happened, that happened to you? You kind of went off course and God had to kind of you know, nudge you back on a little bit. Then you have to realize, oh, God, God wants me to stop doing this, or God wants me to change, or God Amen. wants me to humble myself and repent. And that's what i got to do. So God has a way of, of speaking to us that way. Sometimes it's not real comfortable. So having establishing, established the way of God has, uh, God's way of justifying sinners and establishing it, Paul lists some of the blessings which accumulate or accrue to those whose faith uh, has been counted to them for righteousness. Talks to Christians. There, there's some benefits of being a Christian. You know, when I've talked to people about Christ, about Christianity, you know what they worry about? They don't say, what are the benefits? They say, what do I have to give up? That's their concern. Oh, i got to stop drinking and smoking and cussing and carousing around? Oh, I'll go to a different church where they allow that kind of stuff. Maybe even encourage that kind of stuff. Folks, we're about what they're going to lose. Hey, what are the benefits? Well, heaven. Amen. A blessed Christian life. I've got to quit smoking and drinking and cussing. Man, I'm not sure I can give that up. 
And people don't. They'll go somewhere else where it's not a sin. Okay? That's what folks worry about. Not what they get. But they got to give up. I had that same thought. God forgive me. When I heard Biden might be in, I thought, what am I going to lose? Any of you think that? I had that thought. What am I going to lose? I might see some great blessings of God to see God work. Might be uncomfortable, but it's going to be interesting to see. Ah, it says right here that's going to happen. Okay, so we need to look forward to the coming times here and just see how God's going to do things. Amen. That should encourage us to know that where we are in God's timeline. It's exciting to, you know, and we've seen things in our lives, me and Pastor. Things have happened. We've seen uh, Israel become a nation. Uh, I was in Germany when the wall came down. Bible talks about Germany, didn't talk about two Germanys. There's only one Germany now. People say, oh, they're, they're, we're going where that's, that's Germany, and uh, there's, uh, it can't be true because there's two Germanys. Which one, you know? No. That wall came down. So we've seen God work in our lives, things happening. It's exciting. We can look back and, and study those things and say, oh, God was right. Man was wrong. So, justified by faith. That is a legal decree. When you talk about justification, we said that's a legal term. The judge said, innocent. Our lawyer, our advocate named Jesus, stood there and says, I, I paid for that sin. I took his punishment, innocent, acquitted, wash that slate clean, sins are gone. The only one who remembers our sins is us. Why do we do that? We do sometimes, don't we? Now Paul explains, now because of what Jesus did on the cross, the righteousness has been imputed to all who believe, and the guilt of sentence is transformed to a sentence of justified by faith, Peace with God, he says here in verse number 1, through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first benefit, peace with God. Because the price is paid in full by the work of Christ on the cross, God's justice towards us is eternally satisfied. Remember I said we used to be the enemies of Christ? Not anymore. Not anymore. We're on the what side? The winning side. How did we get there? Justified. We didn't used to be on the winning side. We used to be on the other side. Our conflict with God is eternally over. God's payment is satisfied through Christ. So peace is the first change in God's relationship to us and our relationship to Him. We have peace with God now. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Watch my time. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Look at verse number 18. There is peace. 
change on God's part towards us and change on our part towards God. 2 Corinthians 5.18, And all things are of God who hath what? Reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse number 20, same chapter. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to who? God. We have this peace now. Reconciliation means that the parties involved have dropped their complaints. I worked in a union environment. We had to reconcile a lot of things, you know, issues come up. We had to reconcile things, and we had to compromise. We had to agree on a solution where everybody could drop their flags or drop their complaints or drop their uh, accusations, whatever it was we, they had to drop. We had to, we had, had to meet somewhere and say, this is, we're reconciled. This is the way this thing's going to be solved on both parties. Propitiation was the meeting place between us and God. What's propitiation again? It's appeasing God. Remember that? The meeting place, the action of appeasing God, where the controversy on both sides stops, terminates. Okay? In an honorable and eternal peace. I can't say that union negotiations are always eternal peace. There's always next time. Always next time. Anyways, but this propitiation was the meeting place. God was appeased. Okay, so we reconcile ourselves to God. He reconciled himself to us. This is not the peace of God that Paul talks about in Philippians. This is peace with God. The battle between God and ourself is done. God won in winning us. God won to our benefit. God finished the conflict in a way which we win. God could have said, wages of sin is death, period. The Bible would have been a little short, stopped at Romans, but he didn't. God made it to where we can win also. Amen. We have peace with God. We have peace of God in Philippians, but we have peace with God here. The conflict is over. Amen. And this peace can only come through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.14 says, For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Imagine us on one side of the wall and God's grace on us. He broke down that wall. When the wall's not there, there's no division, is there? Everybody can kind of... But that wall was there, the middle wall of partition that was broken down. Okay? The Bible does not say that we have peace with the devil. It does not say that we have peace with the world does not say we have peace with the flesh. does not say we have peace with sin. 
Okay? Life is still a battle for the Christian, but it's no longer a battle against God. Amen. Now we're fighting for Him. We're on His winning side. Keep, keep that in mind. Okay? Let me just read verse number 2. By whom also we have access by faith into His grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And whom we have access. This access just isn't just standing in grace. We can stand in the very courts of heaven. Amen. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace where we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can approach Christ because we have access. It isn't submit your complaint or your request and triple it and our committee will review it. And if we think you're worthy, we'll give you a chance to talk to somebody higher up. Who will talk to somebody higher up. Reminds me of the military trying to get something through to change. Never got changed. Too many higher uppers. By the time I got to the one I wanted to get to, Everybody was gone, or the thing didn't exist anymore, or who cared? We have access to Christ right now. To get help in time of need. That's the kind of access we want, isn't it? We want access to get to Christ in time of need. This access also indicates that this is a permanent possession. We will always have this. This is a per, this access is a permanent possession. We'll always have it. And that's great. So that's the second benefit. We have this access. Standing in grace, in God's unmerited favor, we can stand there. This grace is given through Christ Jesus. He talks about hope here in verse number 2. I'm in the wrong book. It doesn't say that in Corinthians. It says that in Romans. It talks about rejoice in hope. We'll talk more about hope next week. Hope never implies uncertainty. How many of you are hoping for something? Some of us are. But you're not sure you're going to get it, are you? That diesel pickup truck, that boat. <laughs> Hope for it, but you're not sure you're going to get it. I had that same hope, brother. Anyways, <laughs> hope in the Bible never implies uncertainty. The hope so. You're going to go to heaven when you die? I hope so. Don't have that kind of hope so salvation. Have a no so salvation. Hope never implies uncertainty. It means, it's translated, happy certainty. That kind of hope. Hope that you can base on the Word of God. That kind of hope is what Paul's talking about here. And next week we'll talk more about that. We have that hope. So we'll quit here. i mark my place so I don't forget it next week and talk about the same lesson again. So we'll, we'll be dismissing church starts in about 14 minutes or so. Thank you, Father, for the lesson. Lord, pray God you bless uh, pastors, he preaches the morning message. Father, pray God you bless the services in Jesus' name. Amen.